All right, what's going on, Seven Figures Nation? Welcome, welcome to today's Seven Figures Club podcast. As always, the purpose of this podcast is to help you to take the steps and to learn from the guests we bring on this show so you can join the Seven Figures Club, the 5% of business owners that build seven-figure businesses. And for all of you who are looking for a place to make your money work for you and do it in a more passive opportunity, We've got a special guest for you on today's show. We've got Jennifer Morimoto, who is an accomplished business leader, successful real estate investor, financial literacy expert, and marketing consultant while being a successful or building, excuse me, a successful career in CPG marketing. She embarked on a life-altering journey fueled by a visionary perspective and her family's financial well-being. She left her 15-year corporate America job as a marketing executive to establish her own real estate investing company madison investing which now has over two billion dollars in acquisitions surpassing twenty thousand doors wow that number has definitely grown since <laughs> the last time i spoke uh, with your husband jennifer that is incredible so uh, boy they've uh, really grown and jennifer has this commitment to empowering others and it shines through her active involvement on the board of the bay area financial education foundation uh, she and her husband family do live in the Bay Area, so they are well plugged in to the startup and the venture capital networks out there. Uh, Jennifer, super excited to have you on the show. How's it going? There are over 32 million businesses in the U.S., and over 90% of them will never break seven figures in annual sales. So how do we as entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs break into that seven figures club? This podcast will relentlessly share the secrets, strategies, and tactics I've used to create three multi-seven figures businesses and bring in even more successful entrepreneurs than me to share their inspirational stories and tactics to success. You can create your dream business in life right now. So buckle up and let's go. Really great. Thank you, Leo, so much for having me. Perfect. Well, the first place we want to start is, of course, to get a little bit more about your personal background and working for 15 years in corporate America. And as you were on that journey, obviously you learned a lot about marketing. Uh, what got you started into that career? And, and what was sort of maybe one of the key key times when uh, key events that made you say at some point, wow, I, I really want to go independent. I want to have more control. What was it that led you to feel like, you know, we need to go build our own thing. Corporate America is not where we want to be long-term. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, like everyone, all entrepreneurs, there's a journey. Um, and I started, um, I graduated the University of Colorado, which is where I met Spencer Hillegas, my husband, who you've had on this show. Well, Jennifer, uh, I got to stop you there. It's been a good weekend for University of Colorado, am I right? <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> We've seen a lot of celebration happening out of Boulder. So that's fantastic. So, you know, I graduated and I got a job. That's what you do when you graduate. And I worked for one, one and a half years, and then the Great Recession hit. And oh I felt lucky to have a job at that point. I had coworkers, friends, my managers were all getting laid off. Middle management was just gone. And at that point, I felt really fortunate to have a job. So I grinded my way through it. I worked hard. I got rewarded mightily for it. I got tons of experience in a very short amount of time. And the companies I work for, they rewarded me. They gave me promotions. They gave me bonuses. And I thought, yes, this is the way. And then everything changed when I had a kid. Oh, there. So it goes. Yep. got married, 
had a child and all of a sudden everything shifted. I didn't have unlimited time. I didn't have unlimited grind to give something, 20 things had to give in. And so what gave in was my personal health, no exercise, no hobbies, no learning about anything other than what I had to do to get by. And, you know, this, this just shifts everything. And to me, I stopped and I looked around and I just felt these rewards that I'm getting, these bonuses, these promotions, they don't really feel like rewards. They now feel like anchors and they're blocking me from a life that I really want. And so I set up about really doing some thinking, setting some life goals. And that really ultimately led me to entrepreneurship and real estate investing and really figuring out how to get myself more of the greatest asset that we all want and need is time. Mm. No question about it. Time is that resource that uh, is finite. We don't have infinite amounts of it. We don't know how much time we all have. And what was it specifically about the, the birth of your child that really opened your eyes up to purpose and that long-term something was going to have to change? You know, I was at the time I was checking all the boxes I needed to check, or I felt that I needed to check, which were, you know, have a good career, work hard, be pre be there with my family, spend lots of time with family. But when I was spending time with them, I didn't feel fully present. I was exhausted all of the time. And I was trying to check all of these boxes that I didn't understand why I was checking them. And so it was that exhaustion that really just led me to figure out what it is that I want with my time. It's not just to, to let it pass. It's to really have it be meaningful. No question. So you're making this decision that something has to change. So where did you get the confidence or the knowledge or decide, okay, this is our next step. And this is what I'm going to do to leave corporate America, because for a lot of us, there are a lot of bills we have to pay. There's some financial security. There's some golden handcuffs. There is a child, uh, you know, in this case, uh, that needs to be well taken care of. You're not living in the cheapest neighborhood or the cheapest area in the country. The Barry Bay Area is very expensive. And so how did you find the confidence to make that transition? And what made you decide to go the route you did? Well, so to me, knowledge is power. So I got smart about finance. Financial literacy was my number one goal. And I learned, I spent so much time researching, okay, well, what does it mean to have a retirement? What is that retirement going to look like for me? How, how am I going to afford the lifestyle that I want? And I worked backwards from there to really understand what money needs to do for me as a tool not just a paycheck that I get and it, money comes in and bills go out. Um, and I really figured out I needed to get smarter about my money. That was step one, financial literacy. And so upon that journey, I got into real estate investing and we started buying single family homes and making improvements and renting them. And we, we were thinking we would have this portfolio of single family homes. Well, we realized really quickly the finances of a single family home don't really match our goals of where we wanted to go. And so we knew we needed to scale up into multifamily. 
And so that's where we are today. We participate in multifamily syndications um, and storage syndications and funds. And we are really seeing our money work really hard for us. And um, I am, I'm a limited partner. I really focus on looking at everything as, as an investor first. Mm. And I would say that multifamily and storage, those are the two areas that we like to devote a big chunk of our portfolio towards investing. Well said, Jennifer. So quick question. So you, you, you've done this research, you're gaining financial literacy, and you're starting to re realize at some point that, you know, you, you want to be able to re replace the job income with mm -hmm. maybe passive cash flow income from real estate investments. And you start out with single family. Now, when you started down that path, did you keep your job first? Did you, did you leave the job and go all in? What would that transition look like? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, like you said, we have a child, so you have more yeah. risk, you have more, to, you have more oh. things you need to take care of. And so we, I wasn't ready to make that switch immediately. Luckily I was going into business with my partner, with my life partner, my husband. And so we started this business as a side hustle. At first it wasn't even a business. It was our own personal investment strategy. Oh. Um, and then that turned into a business. Um, and from there, we, we just figured, okay, we'll do both. We'll do it all and, until we reach our goal. But then we realized it we're not being efficient with our, with our time. And so while we built it as a side hustle, eventually we both left our corporate jobs. And I left my corporate job in 2021 to help Spencer focus on the business full-time. Fantastic, guys. Success leaves clues. And Jennifer is dropping some value bombs on you in terms of the success and the clues that you should be following. And I think there's this romantic notion, Jennifer, all the time that, oh, yeah, we're just going to quit our jobs and just go all in. And that sounds cute. But I think a lot of successful entrepreneurs, it's a step-by-step -step process. It's not a one-time event. And it's over time that you start to build that up so that when you are in a position where your income from your side hustle, from your real estate investments has now outpaced the income that your job has, then you can carefully uh, actually make that transition and not do it and put your family and yourself in a, a precarious financial situation where you're going to make bad decisions. So I think what you did there is is incredibly wise. And I think that's the path that people should take is you should build that side hustle. I always love the, the story of Sarah Blakely, uh, founder of Spanx, and she was uh, actually selling fax machines going door to door in the hot Georgia humidity when she built this company. And she side hustled that thing, I want to say, for four or five years, keeping her day job. And then eventually it got big enough to where, of course, she was able to quit the day job and go all in with the business. And I think that's an important transition that people should realize is part of leaving corporate America. What are your thoughts on kind of that gradual progression? Yeah, I think for for me, definitely, it was about having that long-term goal. Yes. If my short-term goal was to have unlimited time or much more flexibility, yes, I could have quit my job and just focused on real estate, but it wouldn't have gotten me closer to my long-term goal. It would have actually set me back. And so really setting that long-term long goal of wanting that passive income and how much and putting a number to it really helped me define, okay, well, what are my capital constraints today? And my capital constraints included, I couldn't leave my daytime corporate job that I was getting a nice salary, nice benefits from, 
And so the math just didn't work out, work out. It was a simple math equation at that point. So that's why I, um, we, I talk to a lot of people who come to me, a lot of women saying, oh, wow, I really like that lifestyle that you have of entrepreneurship. And you seem to be able to have all this time to do what you want to do and invest in what you want to invest in. How do I do that? And then their eyes kind of glaze over when I tell them, okay, it's a journey of time. It's about setting these goals. It's about uh, quantifying these goals. They thought I had a much faster solution, but the reality is it takes a while. It takes a lot of thought and it takes a lot of preparation. If you're not willing to do that, then maybe you should rethink what you want your journey to look like. So for you, Jennifer, you and your husband, as you're building up this side hustle, you're building up your real estate investment portfolio and your cash flow, was there kind of a number where at some point, hey, if we if our monthly cash flows, uh, and for everybody listening, and you know, you hear the word cash flows all the time, and you, maybe you're a little bit confused. It's really just it's the money left over each month from your business or from your real estate investments that is hopefully coming in without spending a ton of your time. And eventually, hopefully it's outweighing and outpacing your job income. And eventually you feel like you're in a position where you can go full time with it. What was that? When did you and your husband feel like, all right, now we can go full time into this? How did you define that? Yeah. So our business is definitely an active business where we're working with general partners to um, to help their acquisitions team with capital. Mm-hmm. So we definitely have an active business. We made a decision that when that active business could replace 70% of Spencer's income, that's when it would be a good time to make that switch. And then everything else was kind of just a cherry on top. And that was our thought when we first started. That shifted very dramatically when we saw the potential of our business and we continued to put a lot of effort there we realized that it wasn't just about a baseline number. It was what what was our potential that we were leaving on the table by me not working there full time. And so that equation started to shift, but initially we had a ballpark number and that that was good to just get started. And that's a great point. So everybody listening, at some point, what you're trying to do is you're trying to identify what's the number that we need to maybe cover our bills and live comfortably, you know, be able to cover the nut, uh, as Kevin O'Leary would say, on a monthly basis from your cash flow investments, whether that's in real estate or side hustle businesses. When that gets up to a certain amount that you're comfortable, and I would say not just you know one or two months of it, but you've seen it for maybe at least six months straight, where you've got some, you know, predictability and a foundation for success, and the money's coming in very regularly, hopefully growing and expanding, then you can feel comfortable to go all in. And so in your guys' journey, Jennifer, you guys started with single family homes. And what was it? Eventually you you just realized, wow, this is not going to get us where we want to go. And so you started to look into multifamily. Tell us a little bit why you guys made that decision. There is a lot of factors, but mostly because we thought that what we were investing in was going to be a passive invested investing journey. We thought it was, we would buy the asset, get a property manager, sit back, relax. But what we found, it was anything but that. With single family homes, you have one tenant. And when you have that tenant leave, that's a hundred percent vacancy. And it requires you as an owner who cares the most about this investment to put a lot of time and effort into filling that vacancy. So we found that even with 
great property managers, it was taking a lot of our time. And the monthly reward, that cash flow, was very small. So doing the math equation, we realized we would need so many, so many single-family homes to get us to that point, considering the vacancy rate. Um, and that's when we started thinking, okay, well, we need more doors. How to get more doors? You buy a building with lots of doors. It's such a great point because a lot of people do start out with single families. I know I sure did. And you're exactly right. When you were renting out that single family and you have a vacancy there, it's 100%. If you have fix-ups, it can delay people moving in. There's so many different things. But if you have a 10-unit building or a 20-unit building, well, if you have a 10-unit building and you have one vacancy, that's only 10% of your income and the impact is so much lesser. If you have 20 units, it's only 5% of your income of your units that might be vacant. And so it's a massive difference and it's a huge learning curve and one that a lot of real estate investors start to realizing like, all right, well, multifamily has a lot of opportunity and uh, and as you compare it to single families, it's it's just in a different class. And certainly, I think over the last uh, five to 10 years, multifamily has done incredible. Uh, I know uh, in terms of looking at Madison Investing, your guys' numbers have been off the charts. And now as we are going into the fourth quarter of 2023 with 2024 on the horizon, we find ourselves in a very different spot than we've been in the last uh, several years with real estate investments in general. And there's a lot of uncertainty out there. Clearly, we've seen interest rates go from you know, the, the neighborhood of 3% to well above 7%. And so what are some of the risk factors that people should be aware of when it comes to understanding and navigating through the markets right now as compared to maybe what they were even a year and a half, two years ago? Yeah, I, I definitely think that there's a lot of fear in the market right now, right? There's a, there's a lot of headlines and it's really confusing for, for people that are just, especially just getting into real estate. I mean, I think there's a lot of doom and gloom stories out there and people kind of are, are, are drinking from a fire hose of information. They don't really know how to parse through it. Um, I think that there's different experts talking about what, what they think is going to happen with the rate and what's going to happen with multifamily. But here's what I know is that we've had a historic in, um, increase in interest rate and we're having a lot. We see a lot of multifamily operators really struggling to hold on to their assets because they cannot handle that interest rate hike. So, so let's ex let's explain to the audience what that means because there's a right way and a wrong way that some uh, multifamily groups have done this, and it comes down to how they did their financing. So uh, explain how that that how some uh, multifamily you know groups have put themselves in a bad spot. Yeah. So definitely. Um, so basically, when they're financing an asset and they get a loan from a bank, they're going to get just like a 30-year mortgage you're going to get on, on your single family home, they're going to get a fixed or a variable rate. And, and those two different products, and there's several different products that cost different amounts of money. So if an operator went in and they got a fixed rate um, and the interest rate spiked like we saw, then they might be okay. They know exactly what that expense is going to be in their budget moving forward. But if they got a variable rate and it spiked like it did, then that expense on your P&L is going off the charts and it's eating through all of your cash. So what happens is that they're either going to need to urgently sell that product 
or they're going to need to get more cash and ask investors for more capital. Exactly right. And so bottom line, uh, it's, it's just very simple. If somebody, for example, let's say your friends uh, bought a home and they bought it uh, three years ago. And instead of doing a 30 year fix, they did like a, a floating variable rate, or maybe they, maybe they did a three year fixed and it was a three year arm rate and it was fixed for three years, a low rate. And now they have it adjusting and now it's going from 3% to 7% plus, oh my goodness, their mortgage payment might've gone up 50, 60% from where it was. So if it was $2,000, it's well over 3,000, maybe on its way to 32, $3,300 a month. And that's what happened to some of these uh, big multifamily groups. I remember reading not too long ago, I'm sure you probably saw this too, Jennifer, a Wall Street Journal article about a group in uh, Houston area that had 3,000 doors and they did variable interest rates. And as the variable rates went up, all of a sudden they started losing massive amounts of money and everybody lost out big time. And that's why you want to work with experienced multifamily groups that uh, that do it right, that have 30-year fixed rates, and they just don't, they already know what the numbers are going to be beforehand. And so that's that's where things, you know, were where they are. And so what are you seeing on the horizon? And explain to somebody, we have a lot of the audience listening who want to be cash flow investors. They want to be able to, you know, invest instead of them trying to figure out all the details, work with a group like Madison that has already got a formula for success. What are you seeing in terms of new opportunities over the next six to 12 months? What do you believe we're going to see out there um, in terms of deals? Are you guys looking at maybe some of these owner groups who got in trouble, maybe did variable rates and maybe do have to unload it at a deal? Or uh, what do you see in terms of opportunities? Because as Warren Buffett always says, be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when they're greedy. Well, right now there's a lot of fear. So maybe it's time to be greedy. Yeah. And that, I think that's a question on operators' mind. Is it that time yet to be greedy? And, and maybe uh, it's not, but yeah, maybe we're curious. It's not. You guys we are in the trenches. You're super successful experts in real estate. What do you think? Yeah. So what what I see as an investor myself is I see a lot of GP groups not able to sell their assets when they're they're already in the hole, right? And they need to yeah. sell their asset. They're not able to do it at a great price because maybe they haven't for that maybe the asset hasn't appreciated enough. Yeah. I like value add strategies and value add strategies is when operator will go in and they'll improve upon the property so that they can then sell it at a, a better price not depending on the market equity, not depending on the market to increase the price, but the work that they've actually done on the asset. So I like that strategy. It makes a lot of sense to me. A lot of the operators will say that that's their strategy, but then when it comes time to execution, it doesn't actually happen. And yeah, there's a million reasons, right? There's um, there's supply chain issues, there's turnover in your staffing, but the operators that are going to do really well are the ones that have that operator plan fixed. They can, they have a business plan and they're executing on it. So that's what I see in the, in the next coming months. So that when operators do need to sell, they force that appreciation and they're going to do well. The ones that aren't are the ones that, that did not work their business plan that they sold to investors. So do you believe there's going to be opportunities over the next, uh, you know, couple, two to three years where, and just to educate everybody on how this works, whenever you're looking to 
uh, invest in multifamily. Let's say you know the the property cost is five million dollars and you need thirty percent down. Well, that's one point five million. If you don't have one point five, but you you know, you're an accredited investor, you have $100,000, $200,000, you can jump in and syndicate as part of the uh, opportunity through madisoninvesting.com and be able to jump in that deal. And they're going to do the work, use their expertise, their team in order for you to get in on that deal without having to come up with 1.5 million. You can get in, you know, for a hundred or 200 or whatever amount you're comfortable in there, whatever that minimum is that they're asking to get in there and be a part of that group. And so I've had the opportunity to do some of these syndications and and different uh, multifamily, and you definitely want to do your homework. Um, what do you feel like are some of the, uh, do you feel like there's opportunities that are going to be coming up over the next uh, year or two um, to do new projects? Yeah. And I would say I'm cautiously optimistic on that front. I think that there's going to be a lot of turnover. There's going to be a lot of opportunity for people to to buy things kind of on sale on discount and I put that in air quotes um but I I don't I don't know if it's going to be an 0809 bloodbath I really hope it's not because then that means a lot of people are really down and out um but I feel like you know there's a lot to be seen before that actually happens so um I hate to to give you a we'll wait and see, but I I'm cautiously optimistic as we wait and see. Got you. Have you guys seen any opportunities in 2023 uh, that's made you want to pull the trigger and move forward on any deals? You know, we have seen some. Um, yeah. We we definitely wow, that's are huge. are very slow and deliberate when we're deciding who we work with. So we want to get in and we invest personally ourselves before we bring any other investments to our group. And so while we do see a lot of opportunities out there, we are very slow and deliberate in our approach. Good. That's exactly who you want to be working with. If you're working with someone there, oh, the sky is falling. It's the once in a lifetime opportunity. That's not where you want to be. You want to be with someone who's very slow, very deliberate in making long-term smart decisions and and walking away and saying no to a lot of deals. That's, that's what a lot of successful investors are very good at. They're de-risking the deal and so forth. And so for everybody listening to this podcast whose mind has been blown and there are always opportunities there's always a bull market. There's always an opportunity somewhere. And there's going to be a lot of opportunities in real estate over the next few years. The question is, where are you going to find those? Where can they move forward to get more information about Madison investing and opportunities coming up? Yeah, absolutely. So um, if you want to get in and you want to learn more about passive investing, definitely come to our website, madisoninvesting.com. We have a free email course about passive investing. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Jen Morimoto and I and I tweet a lot about financial literacy and entrepreneurship. Well, I'm check you out. Absolutely. So, um, but yeah, those are the two best places. Awesome, everybody. Again, not a passive podcast. This is an action-taking podcast. As you're building your business, as you're generating capital, you've got to invest it. So guys, check out madisoninvesting.com. This group has been exceptionally successful. I've literally gone through uh, a lot of their projects and their numbers. They've been very impressive. And I love the fact that they're in this for the long run. 
They have a lot of experience and they're going to do everything possible to make good decisions and give you an opportunity. Number one, learn how this business works. And number two, you know, if you're an accredited investor and you're looking for a great place to put your money, uh, this is something certainly well worth taking a look at and seeing what the opportunities are. Because if you're with someone experienced, it can pay off substantially. Uh, Jennifer, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Appreciate it. Thank you, Leo. Are you looking for more seven-figure secrets, content, or even how you can launch your own recession-proof business? Then check out sevenfigures.com. That's the digit seven, F-I-G-U-R-E-S.com, where we share more videos, stories, strategies, funding solutions, entrepreneurial education, and even the secret business type that's recession-proof. Thank you for listening, and if you're finding value in our podcast, please give us a five-star and invite others to join the club.